if the only conversations are what's not possible, like I may not have achieved everything I had already achieved. I was fully unaware that I wasn't supposed to do well. So the point of the podcast is just to show examples of possibility. And that's why the mission is, if she can do it, so can I. Welcome to the Midland Money Mindset. This is a podcast that's all about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. In every episode, we go deep with engaging guests who provide tangible takeaways and a whole lot of joy along the way. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I enjoyed having them. Let's dive into today's show. I'm Larry Sprung, your host for the Midland Money Mindset and founder and wealth advisor of Midland Financial. Today's guest is Esprit Devora, the founder of We Are LA Tech and the producer and host of Women in Tech. As a prolific podcaster since 2013, Esprit has earned the nickname The Girl Who Gets It Done and is a force in the Los Angeles tech scene. Esprit is the founder of We Are LA Tech and is a champion for women in tech globally. She is also a founding member of the Audio Collective, the hybrid live audio creator community. She hosts multiple podcasts and is one of the first Clubhouse icon faces. Esprit has been featured in Forbes, Entrepreneur, Harper's Bazaar, Inc., and more. Esprit knows the power of audio after producing and publishing over 1,000 podcast episodes and speaking at everything from SXSW to USC, Red Bull, and CBS. She calls podcasting painting audio. Esprit cares about heart and integrity, not job titles. Listen in for some great takeaways about how Esprit has made a huge impact in the tech world, earning her the nickname, The Girl Who Gets It Done, while using social media and podcasting to extend her reach and impact. Well, I have the pleasure today of being with Esprit Devora, the founder of We Are LA Tech and the producer and host of Women in Tech, Thank you so much for joining us today, Esprit. It's a pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to have our chat. Yeah, I love your background too, by the way. So those of oh, you can't you. see it. but Look, I even have podcasters love. A, a there best you friend go. sent me that. <laughs> there you go. So listen, I know a bunch about you, but I want to introduce you in the right way to our listeners. Can you tell and give our listeners a little bit of background about kind of who you are, what brought you to where you are today? We're going to be talking a lot about where you are today. The entrepreneurial journey and how you got there is usually a really interesting one and seems to be never a straight line for some reason. Sure. So I welcome you to interrupt me when you find a path that resonates with you. I feel I was born an entrepreneur. I became an entrepreneur daydreaming about the businesses I would create when I would walk to the movies with my dad as a little girl. So I was a very odd person. My dad and my godfather would have these business conversations around me all the time. So I was just exposed to business. My dad had a home office. I was exposed to business from a very early age. Then I went on later to first build 
build a scuba diving company, an online scuba diving company. I didn't know what I was doing. Simultaneously, I was teaching myself how to become a real estate investor. So I would just be reading all these books. I was working as a waitress and I was working as a receptionist at a yacht brokerage firm and doing all these things and learning about credit and leveraging and finances and all this stuff. It was very exciting. I took that knowledge to buy my first properties and then just by reading books and going out and doing, just trying things out. And then in that yacht brokerage firm, there was a guy who had a scuba diving business. I'd never been scuba diving. He had an online scuba diving business on eBay. He was ready to move on from it. So I used my yacht receptionist money to buy out all of his inventory and I put it in my apartment and overnight had a scuba diving company, like commerce store, sort of. It was one of my early business lessons, which is learn how it works before you start experimenting and breaking it. Right. <laughs> and instead, I thought I was so much smarter and I did not do all the things he did to have a profitable scuba diving company. And I sabotaged it by trying to recreate it immediately. I did that for a while. It worked, but he had a profitable business that I murdered. <laughs> then I pivoted that. One of my mentors at the time said, why don't you do action sports. You don't even care about scuba diving. I'm like, it is true that I know nothing about scuba diving. <laughs> I loved skateboarding and motocross and all these kinds of action sports growing up. So I created the first action sports social network. And that was a very exciting period of my time. So I pivoted my scuba diving company to be that social network. I ended up connecting with an incredible co-founder who went on to build Box, a file sharing company. It was a really, really exciting time in my life. At one point, we got hacked. In the time that we got hacked, things were accelerating really fast. I needed it to redefine the company. So a different advisor said, why don't you become a media network like the CNN of action sports? I knew nothing about media except the camera that my dad got me in sixth grade. I knew I had a love for media, but I didn't really know anything. And I just took a leap, went on Craigslist, found videographers. I didn't know what a videographer was. I was like, are you the people that like shoot things with a video camera? Like I knew nothing, but I used my high school journalism background to figure it out. And I ended up creating the first social network, then turned into an action sports media network and raised money. And the, the story goes on, but it was all very exciting. All of that, all of those life experiences really inspired me to create We Are LA Tech because I wanted there to be a place, which is my company now. We just had our 11-year anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you. It's a big thing to still exist these days. <laughs> it is. It is. I wanted there to be a place where people felt safe to have the conversations that they needed to have, to have really vulnerable connection, a place where it's okay to not be okay or to not be perfect. The biggest compliment I've ever gotten, I'd say, is from one of the entrepreneurs. We Early Tech isn't just entrepreneurs. It's all people working in tech. However, one of the entrepreneurs was in other prominent accelerator groups, and he said that We Early Tech was the best thing he was a part of. I'm like, how is that possible? You're part of these really fancy, well-known accelerators. I said, you have access to the best investors in the world, the best founders in the world. He's like, yeah, but with them, I always have to be perfect. So I can't actually ask for the support I need. So it was a really interesting discovery on how valuable what my company does. 
about my company's offering. And I'm really proud of the work I've done. People have gotten married over the events. They've met, gotten married, had babies, raised money, found jobs, hired, like the whole thing. It's just, I'm really proud of my work. Yeah, amazing stuff. And it sounds like this all really emanated from those walks that you the ones that were probably innocuous that you were walking with your, you said your dad and your uncle, right? So it seems- And my like godfather. Those, and your god. Okay. It sounds like those really paid off and really yeah. kind of brought you to where you are today. Yeah. It really inspired my love for business. Yeah. So I got to ask you, how did you get the nickname? I mean, I can probably infer by that story. How did you get the nickname, the girl that gets it done? I was in Austin, Texas with a friend of mine, Rand Zappos. He's since passed away. We were together in Austin, Texas, and we were, it was, sorry, just very emotional. <laughs> yeah. Are you talking about Tony Shea? Yeah. Okay. It was him and a few other really prominent people. And we were trying to, for some reason they couldn't, it was like A-list celebrities and really well-known founders and him. We were trying to go to a place, and for some reason, these really important people couldn't figure it out. I really don't know why they couldn't figure it out. But then I said, T, do you want me to help? And he's like, yes. I'm like, okay. So we were in Tony's Delivering Happiness bus, and I made a few phone calls with just, I'm a very resourceful person with different people that I had relationships with. And I was able to get this caravan of like the prominent people and their entourage into one of the best places in Austin with security detail, sure no photos were taken. And I did this all in 10 minutes. So when we arrived and everything was all set up, people kept saying, who is she? Is she one of their girlfriends? Is she their publicist? And then someone just said, she's just the girl who gets it done. And so it just stuck. Yeah. There you go. So I don't know if you know this about me. I had no intentions of bringing this up in our conversation, but after you use the terminology, it's okay not to be okay, and then brought up uh, Tony's name, I sat on the board for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention for about 14 years. And the big impetus for that was I lost my brother-in-law in in 19 years ago in 2004. And it's something that's very important to me in my life. And I'm a pretty staunch advocate for mental health and, and talk about it all the time. Actually, I just came from earlier today. I was live on Yahoo Finance and I wore my suit that has the lining because it's Suicide Prevention Month that's lined with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and their logo with me on set there. So I understand and I'm with you. It's important. that Yeah, loss is hard. Yeah. And it's important that people understand that it's okay not to be okay and seek out assistance. It's not a sign of weakness. It's totally okay to seek help. We seek help for so many things in our lives why not our mental health? But for some reason that gets overshadowed sometimes. So thank you for sharing that. And with Grace, I don't want to speak for Tony. I don't know. He could have been fine. I don't want to speak for his situation. I loved him and he had an amazing life and circumstances happened. And I don't know the specifics around the circumstances and he could have been okay. So I don't, I don't want to speak regarding that. But yes, loss is really hard. And I really appreciate your vulnerability in sharing that story. So let's take a shift for a second. So as the founder of Women in Tech, right? I mean, we talked a little bit about the community. What was really the inspiration behind it? And what were your goals in terms of the impact that you hoped it had or will continue to have on the representation of women in the tech world? 
I created the Women in Tech podcast because by the time I started to become familiar with women in tech groups, I didn't have much of a network early in my career. There wasn't a lot of tech scene or at least not a hub for tech scene. So I would continually fly to San Francisco in order to meet people in technology. And then when I did start to discover women's groups in Los Angeles, a lot of the conversations, and rightfully so, were about different limitations and challenges that the community of women experienced. However, for me, at that point, I had already raised money. I'd already built my company. I had already like done a lot and executed on a lot. And I wasn't aware that I wasn't supposed to. I'm like, there needs to be a positive piece of content. What is possible? What resources do exist? Because if the only conversations are what's not possible, like I may not have achieved everything I had already achieved. I was fully unaware that I wasn't supposed to do well. So the point of the podcast is just to show examples of possibility. And that's why the mission is if she can do it, so can I. Yeah, I think that's great. And I I love that mission. And I love creating that storyline for people to understand that really anybody can do anything if they are given the support, they have the drive, etc. It can they can really make it happen. So your podcast, we could shift for a second to We Are LA Tech, has really become a significant platform for showcasing the LA tech community. How do you go about curating content for that platform and selecting guests to really ensure a diverse and engaging representation? Because I think you do a great job of that. Oh, thank you. My first qualifier is don't be a d- <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a G-rated term, hopefully. <laughs> Well, it is now. (laughs) Okay. I don't want people who are not kind people. So I'm looking for kind, collaborative, mutually supportive people. I don't want anyone with negative energy, meaning they're looking to harm others or steal from others or take from others. Like, no, this is about everyone lifting one another up. It's also cheering one another on. It's about really being a connective, harmonious community. When I talk to people, are they seasoned? Where are they in their exploration of the world of technology? Are they committed, dedicated? Are they simply being like, looks cool on HBO, you know, Mm -hmm. there's a big difference between looks cool and doing the thing. Right. So I look for that. We also, this is very funny in LA, we have a core culture code. Actually, speaking of Tony, Tony taught me the core culture code. So if you Google, we are LA tech core values, I learned that from T. It's one huge mistake I made in my first company, which was, I don't have them memorized, but Zappos has their 10 core values and they really made core values famous. And in the beginning, when I started my sports company, I didn't have any core values. So when someone on my team was not being timely about getting something done or this and that, it was this whole like mishmash of messy communication. However, if a company has core values in place from day one, like startup day one of your company, then you know the guidelines. So if someone's not turning in something on time and your core values to respect one another's time, you simply say this isn't the right culture fit. Like you can't work here because you're not part of the core philosophy. One of the important We Are LA Tech core values, which is funny in LA, is to respect one another's time. I say that because LA has a big flake culture. So we have a really hardcore no LA flake policy. So if you flake, you get put on a blacklist and you don't get invited to anything else and you don't get on anything else. So again, you could Google it. There's a whole Medium post. I have core values both for my internal team and for externally for members and customers. 
Our internal team is to have patience and be really thoughtful about the people we're communicating with because someone could be having a really bad day. Someone could speak arrogantly, hastily, all sorts of things that aren't very pleasant, but is our job as a team, no matter who they are, to communicate with love and compassion. I don't want anyone on my team to be reactive to someone's bad mood. It doesn't mean that they necessarily need to be involved in our ethos, but we're not going to make their day worse. We are going to do what we can to be a kind human and be an example of what's possible to make things better. Listen, I love it. We implemented here probably about three, four years ago. We have six core values that we live by. The first one, which resonates really well with me and lines up with this very much, is responsiveness and proactive communication. Yes. That's number one. Yes. We have another one that clients equal family equals team. Exactly. To your no D-bag comment earlier. Yeah. Filtering, same thing. We want to work with clients. We want to have team members that are like our family. And if you don't fit into that, then it's just not a good fit. So it gives you a real great way of filtering through who's a good fit and who's not. And also to your point, if somebody's not doing something or living up to it, it's not you saying, hey, you needed to or you shouldn't have done this. It's, hey, is this being responsive and providing proactive communication like our core values say, and immediately they're like, no, no, it's not. I got to fix that. And hopefully that resonates, which is great. Yeah. Like one of the internal core values we have is people are human, not metrics. Right. Right. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. So I know when we talked about it before we started recording that you were an advisor to Squadcast and with your knowledge in the podcasting world, if I'm an entrepreneur or business owner or somebody who's just thinking about starting a podcast, what are some things, maybe the top two or three that somebody should consider before selecting a specific platform to record on? A hundred percent. Well, I've was slash am, but not because they just got acquired by Descript. So I've graduated to acquisition. (laughs) I do know a lot about podcast audio technology because even before Squadcast, and I think this is one of the early reasons why I was the right advisor for them, I believe it was PodClear, if I'm remembering correctly, which was like Squadcast before Squadcast existed. And audio technology is extremely hard. I don't think consumers understand how hard it is to record with ease, to not have blips in the recording, to be able to save these two files, to have high quality output, et cetera. It's not just the mic when it comes to recording on a computer. It is the internet. It's the computer. It's the tabs you have open. It's the platform. It's Chrome. It's Safari. It's all the things. It's crazy. (laughs) The things that I look at and the reason why I genuinely unbiasedly, because I was a Squadcast customer before I was an advisor. So really unbiased. The number one thing that always gave me confidence in Squadcast is the backup system. Their backup engineering system is just amazing. We're recording on Squadcast right now. If our internet goes out, if my computer dies, if your computer dies, all these things, if my internet's buffering, 
the backup system has us on lock, nothing will be lost. That was really important because I started podcasting in 2013, so several years. So not knowing if I could have a proper backup system in place was nerve-wracking. Sure. I've lost one episode. I never want to experience that again. Right. That's in the very early days where I recorded via Skype, and it was devastating. So that's one. Two, a Squadcast integrates with Dolby Sound, which gives you a higher quality audio as well, which is really important. I do like the new features that a lot of these platforms are creating. And we did one as well, a squad shot, taking a picture of the recording. That's pretty cool. I think they all have something different to offer. Now that Squadcast has been acquired by Descript and there is that integration there, I think one of the huge benefits of Squadcast is that now you can have the transcriptions and edit uh, via text your audio, which makes for such a, a better workflow and streamlined production. There's Riverside, there's Zencaster. Those are the main ones. And Zoom, of course. So Zoom, Riverside, Zencaster, and Squadcast. And the Zoom issue for a long time, and I'm not sure now it might be different, but in the early days with Zoom, you could only record utilizing cloud, which means if the internet was rocky, your interview was done and there was no backup. So that was out for me. And they may have changed that since, but I'm not sure. I do love the beautification feature on Zoom. Wish all the other platforms had that where you could enhance your view, your viewing. So that's cool. I really think look at the price points and all that. But for me, when I'm looking at it, I'm primarily I'm looking at backup systems. Yeah. I Which one am I safest point. with with the backup system? You don't want to lose it after you put in all that work and effort. That's for sure. Yeah. So let's talk about what do you see as somebody who's heavily involved in tech? What do you see as the most significant challenges and opportunities for the tech ecosystem? And what are you seeing in subsequent years? What are you seeing as like the next big thing or something that's here today that's going to be even bigger? The popularized conversation at the moment is AI. I'm not so sure. I mean, AI has been around for like a really long time. So I'm not so sure AI isn't going to go into the same doomsday as NFTs. Everybody's so afraid that it's going to take all of our jobs. And I think it's, <laughs> do you know the book Obstacles the Way by Ryan Holiday? I am not familiar with that, but I will look it up after our conversation for sure. Yeah, it's a great book. And really, this world is all perception. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were periods where we were afraid that everything was going to be destroyed because of a nuclear bomb and we were hiding under our desks. So every generation goes through their very intense Y2K. time. Y2K. Everything yeah. was going to stop working, right? Yeah. <laughs> And that's the thing. The world feels very heavy right now, but we don't know what it felt like during the depression because mm -hmm. that's not when we were alive. So yeah. this might just be our thing for this generation, and it's not as bad as we perceive it to be. The media makes more money the more afraid we are. So- I think it goes back to what we talked about earlier before we started recording, that joy really needs to be our North Star in our life. Mm -hmm. And we need to detach as much as possible and 
reel it back into, are we living joyously, privately, like behind closed doors every day? Because if we're not living joyously, then we're not really living a good life. But if we're being suckered into the YouTube algorithm, as I sometimes am, or the Twitter chatter slash X, then we get lost in the negative narratives. I think the future of tech has a lot to do with robots and AI and that whole thing. And I think the new thing, remember when emails became really popular and so then all of a sudden it was really a luxury to receive a snail mail because it was so personal? Yeah. Well, now the luxury is to be a human. Mm -hmm. Like the more genuine human interaction you have and connection you have where someone feels seen and you're not looking at your phone while you're talking to them, the more advantage you have. Like being human has become a differentiator. I agree. And I think, listen, we're not going to complain on this show about a lack of joy. The more joy, the better. We're all for that. So we're a big proponent for that. One of the things that I talk about all the time is it seems like it's something that's right up in your wheelhouse is talking about networking and building connections has clearly been something that's been hugely beneficial to you and your success. And I'm often heard using the term that your network equals your net worth. And I truly believe that. I truly believe that you can get just about anything you need or want from your network if you've built it up properly. Now, with that being said, you can't be one of those people who's always taking from the network and not giving back. There has to be, you have to really be able to contribute and have that abundance mindset to do that. What advice would you give to somebody who maybe they're a newer entrepreneur, or maybe they're a recent graduate and they're looking to expand their networks. What advice would you have for them? Well, I loved this term that I heard recently. It's not your network is your net worth. It's not how many people you know, it's how many people know you. And I think that's really interesting. And then what do you want to be known for? Mm -hmm. Like, what are people saying about you in a closed room when you're not there? I think that's what matters. I think... How do we want to show up? What do we want to be known for? How do we over-deliver? And one of my favorite quotes is actually Maya Angelou's quote is, people remember not what you say, but how you make them feel. How are you making people feel? I think that also goes back to the core values. When you set up core values, then you have more control over this narrative of facilitating a feeling for a community event or a podcast episode, like the whole production process that you had, even in doing this episode, all of it is to cultivate a feeling of security, of trust, of understanding, right? Everything that we do and how we show up in anything determines how we do everything. Yeah. I think that people, for the most part, can really get a good sense of where you are in that continuum, usually very quickly, right? They yeah. really, they know good, bad, or indifferent. I think most people can sniff that out probably within a matter of, I think some people could do it in seconds. Yeah. I have a knack. I could pretty much do it in like 15 seconds. I kind of get a sense of who somebody is, but there are others, I think very easily within a couple of minutes, you get a good understanding of, is this somebody that I align with? that I could connect with and have those connections to continue a relationship with. And having that skill set is very important, I think, especially in where we are today. Because to your point, AI is here, whether it's going to take over or just be here, at the end of the day, there's going to still need to be human interaction. So you're going to have to know how to do that and do it in an effective way. 
To answer the question that you asked extremely directly, you asked, how does a young person just starting out have kind of like a barometer navigator for life? I think two things. One, we've talked a lot about creating core values. I even have core values for the type of friendships that I want so that I could have a guide, a boundary to know like what kind of people, you know, when possibly, I don't know if you experienced this, but I've definitely experienced this where you're dating someone who just isn't like the best person for you, but you kind of stay in the relationship a little bit too long because you're making up all these stories. I don't know if you've gone through that. I definitely have gone through that. It's been a long time. I've been married 23 years, as I mentioned (laughs) to you earlier. So that's been a long time, but I'm sure it happened. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I wrote out like, what am I looking for in a partner? Not like a dream list of a partner, but like, do I want to feel safe? Do I want someone that respects my time? Going back to the time thing. Do I want someone who is comfortable with my independence? You know, what are the core values that I'm looking for in both my personal relationships, friendship relationships, business relationships? One of the lines that I always say is, to me, it's important to be able to love without boundaries and feel valued while doing so. That is how I operate. That's really important to me in my business relationships. So it's about asking like, what's important to you, the listener? Like, what do you want? Write it down. Write down your 10 core values. Write down what's important to you and then really become self-aware. Are you cultivating the relationships that match what's important to you? Or do you need to modify and make some tweaks so you could cultivate more nourishing relationships? The second very short piece is your intuition is your oracle. You are going to receive so many opinions from so many different people through their own life perspectives and traumas and wins. And everybody else's life is not your life. You have your own path and it's a great path. And your path is for you to fully be inventing. So take what resonates with you, let go what doesn't, and just trust your intuition and let that be your oracle, your GPS system. Don't think that you have to do everything that Tim Ferriss does or Richard Branson does or whoever else does in order to succeed in life. Like really, you are allowed to create your own rules. And should, because that worked for them. And if you try to pull off the same exact thing or try to follow that manuscript, it's not going to be authentic. It's not going to be authentic and it's probably not going to work. So it's got to be you. That's the important piece. So I got to ask you, because I love the part that you said much earlier about the action sports, because I love that stuff. And being involved in that space, right, especially as a female in that space, there had to be some lessons that you took away from that business and that situation. What were some key takeaways for you from that experience of being involved in building that action sports media company? I'm badass. I don't know if that's a bad word, but that is what I learned, how forward thinking I am. I didn't know that at the time, but looking back, like I was remarkable. I had no idea how remarkable I was. (laughs) So I also like the risk and resilience that a professional athlete has is very similar in a different way to that of a founder. We risk everything for Mm -hmm. a dream. The thing is with a pro athlete, they're also risking their lives, which is crazy. And specifically in the action sports industry, which some people call the extreme sports industry, which is like skateboarding, motocross, surfing, snowboarding, that kind of thing. There's a specific culture about it that's very connective and cool. And we like sneakers and a certain vibe. And I loved it all. I love that the universe gave me 
through my own will and perseverance, the opportunity to make things happen and, and innovate. Like it was crazy. Just everything was from my instinct and high risk. I leveraged credit cards, which probably is terrible with your teaching people how to be financially responsible. Meanwhile, I'm taking out tons of cash advances to fund my company. And then I raised money and then all the things, but I would do it all over again. I think you're right. I think the life of an action sports person or even any professional athlete is very similar to an entrepreneur. There's a lot of alignment. So I got to ask you, because by time this airs, I will have seen him speak, but I'm going to be seeing Sean White in a week speak. Have you had interactions with him through your media company or? Yeah, we shot him years ago. He's been a pro athlete for a lot of years. I don't know him personally, but yeah, we shot with him years ago. Nice. Great guy. What's his talk on? I don't know exactly. He's one of the keynotes at a conference that I'm going to be heading to this week in Nashville and really looking forward to seeing him speak because of his background and being an athlete and many of the things that he's been public about and what he's talked about. So I'm I'm interested to see. And, And I love hearing different athletes' journeys. I grew up playing ice hockey. Both my boys play. My younger son has moved away at the age of 15 from New York to Minnesota, and he's pursuing his dream. So it's just interesting to see that. And it's kind of interesting how perceptions change over the years. When I was a kid, I thought a professional athlete was like the coolest thing. And now as an adult, knowing what I know now and understanding what they're doing and how they're putting their lives and their bodies on the line, it's a much different perspective now than when I was a 10-year-old kid, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It was a very exciting chapter of my life. Yeah. Yeah, Sean White's great. We got to shoot with Brian Deegan and Tony Hawk and all of the most incredible athletes. Sounds like a lot of fun to me. So (laughs) listen, that fun leads me to a spray. It's been great having you on the show. And we end each of our shows asking our guests the same question, which you gave a little prelude to earlier, because we're all about joy here on the Midland Money Mindset. And that is, what did you do today? that brought you joy and put you in the right mindset for success? Two things. One is I worked out. The beginning block of my morning is always athletics. And I spent quality time talking to one of my best girlfriends. Awesome. Sounds like a great way to cap a Friday here. So yes, listen, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story with our listeners. And we're going to have all your information in the show notes. But if people want to find out more, learn more about you or the podcast you're involved in? What's the easiest and the best way for them to do that? I'm at Esprit Devora on all social. So that's E-S-P-R-E-E-D-E-V like Victor O-R-A. And womenintech.fm, wearelatech.fm takes you to both the podcasts. I look forward to connecting with you. Awesome. Really easy. Check her out. Check out more of her story. And I appreciate you joining us, Esprit. And I hope you enjoy Enjoy the day. You too. Thank you. I want to thank Esprit Devora for being a guest on the Midland Money Mindset. Esprit is an amazing force in the tech world and her impact grows as time goes on. Is there any question why she is the girl who gets it done? Those looking to grow a community of raving fans can learn a lot from what she has done in a relatively short time. Esprit Devora and We Are LA Tech can be found across most social media platforms. All the contact information needed to find them can be found in the show notes. Thank you for joining us this week on the Midland Money Mindset. 
make sure you visit our website at midlandmoneymindset.com and smash the subscribe button so you don't miss a show. We encourage you to help others find our valuable content and please don't keep us a secret. You can also schedule an Is There a Fit call right from our website or by using the link that you'll find in the description section of your podcast player or app. And be sure to join us for our next episode to learn more about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. The opinions voiced in the Midland Money Mindset Show with Lawrence Sprung are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy ensures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Guests on the Midland Money Mindset Show are not affiliated with CWM LLC.